The usage of ad blockers is on the rise, which is dramatically shifting the landscape of advertising in general on the web. We'll talk about this today. Plus, email marketing. Is it still relevant in the age of social media? All this and more on The Rightly Show. It's the program that helps you start and grow a brand-centric online business through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas McGee and this is The Rightly Show. So ad blockers are a pretty normal part of everyday life for a lot of us. Ad blockers obviously block ads, but they do more than that. They stop auto-playing videos and pop-ups and everything that generally just kind of interrupts our user experience as we are exploring the web. There's an article, interesting article in Bloomberg that actually talks a little bit more about this. And the, the article goes into a lot of detail about a number of different developers and, and different even hackers on the web who are developing new and more robust and powerful ad blockers. So we've got kind of this tension that's taking place across the web where we've got ad blockers against advertisers and advertisers are getting more and more desperate to interrupt and to block their content and to monetize. Uh, so the the article over in Bloomberg, just a piece of it says, about 18% of the US web users have an ad blocker. A company that helps or says, uh, page flare or page fair ltd a company that helps advertisers find technical ways to work around the software its estimates are among the more conservative ones outside the u.s the numbers are more dramatic desktop ad block blocker penetration is 24 percent in canada 29 percent in germany and 39 percent in greece according to page fair the practice is growing fastest on mobile devices in Asia, where data allowances are typically lower. Indonesia, 58% of the users block mobile ads. In the early days, it was privacy activists and people who had an objection to capitalism in principles, says Sean Blanchfield, chief executive officer of PageFair. These days, it's just average people. Only a few years ago, even people who hated ads saw advertising or ad blocking software as akin to stealing. But online advertising has grown so predatory that while block or that while ad blocking is estimated to cost publishers billions of lost revenue a year, it started to seem less like robbery than self-defense. Ads slow devices, eat up data plants, and sometimes deliver malware. Meanwhile, the industry is building ever more detailed dossiers on every user based on web habits. So a big, that was kind of a stigma that was pretty prominent early on with the ad blocker days where people would think, well, you know, I need to support this website and allow them to show ads and that, and that sort of thing. And my argument in the past has always been that it's not so much the user's job to just have to accept a worse user experience with ads and pop-ups and autoplay videos and everything else. It's the publisher's job to find out a way to, to monetize. Uh, so, for example, at, at least at the present time, the Rightly Show doesn't have any advertising. And that's just something I've chosen to do. So it's really up to the publisher to figure out a way if they want to monetize. If that's obviously if it's a business, you have to monetize. You have to figure out a way to do that. But more and more companies have been finding have been collecting more and more and more data on people in order to do that. And I think that's really where the the 
the line in the sand is being drawn for a lot of people. It used to be just the fact that ads were annoying, which they are, but it's crossing into the line where in order for those ads to be effective, because people generally just don't like ads and don't like advertising, they're having to collect more and more data on people to make those ads effective. And so that's why I think that's a big part of why you're starting to see people install ad blockers. And so again, what you have here then is advertisers getting a lot more desperate. Uh, but again, I think from a publishing perspective, and I think it with a lot of really big media companies, there's just kind of this stigma, this mentality that we have to, you know, this is the way it's always been, right? Advertising has always been done this way on the web, which is funny because even, even advertising on the web isn't really all that old. Uh, really anything on the web isn't really that old. It's not as opposed to something like radio advertising, which is literally been the same since the 50s and even before uh, now the way that those ads are run uh, you know the, the actual content's different obviously based changing with our culture but in terms of the actual medium and the way the ad is actually served it's, it's very similar uh, but on the web there's just kind of this stigma that i have to be able to show flashing banner ads or i have to add this splash screen to this news website that says you know, help us continue to do business. So please enable your ad blocker. Like that is completely backwards. The whole idea of advertising in general should be that you're offering something of value to people that they want, not a burden that they have to endure to get to your content. So again, I think a lot of this comes back to just kind of an old guard, you know, in terms of the the publishing industry in general, the media industry in general, that kind of says, we have to do it this way and therefore you know i have to make my users suffer in order to do that so from our perspective from those of us who are running businesses we always like to think you know take some time to consider you know if you do monetize through ads or something like that what are some other ways i can monetize how can i become creative is there some digital products i can offer uh, is there a subscription-based service that offers a higher level of value than the regular user would be? I mean, even look at freemium models today or work great. We're about 90% of users use an app or a service for free, and the other 10% pay for the premium version, which enables the other 90% to get it for free. This model works across virtually every medium imaginable. So the need for interrupting people to show ads, I still don't totally understand that but again it's it's an old uh it's, it's just kind of a, it's a staple that's that's stuck around and so i think i think that's a big reason as to why you're starting to see a lot more people who are switching to ad blockers speaking of ad blockers actually one in particular that i've been using for a while that i really like called webblock um, and this one's totally free. You can get it for Android or iOS. I think one of the big problems, like you can find a ton of ad blockers for Mac or for Windows for the actual desktop because it just builds right into to Chrome or Safari or whatever browser it is that you use. But iOS is a little bit more difficult because you can't get as much flexibility in the browser. Um, you know, the browser doesn't have as much flexibility as a desktop one does. So you always end up limited in terms of what your options are for blocking ads. But WebLock actually filters all your data so it can actually block and filter out ads from within apps as well so it doesn't matter what app you're in weblock can filter your web content and actually block ads within just about any app within the app store i'm not i have an iphone myself so i can't speak as well 
to the apps that it filters out ads within for Android, but it works great for iOS. So it's Weblock. And then if you'd like to check that out, I'll leave a link to that in today's show notes, which is just rightly.show slash 53. Also, you want to check out that Bloomberg article because it's really interesting. It goes into some more detail about the different ad blockers that people are creating. But I just wanted to touch on that today because I thought it would be valuable, first of all, to see the rise in ad blockers, but also to just get us all thinking about some better ways that we can monetize in you know an interruption-driven advertising world. Have a question for the program? Call 844-RIGHTLY to record your question, and we would be happy to consider featuring it in a future episode. That's 844-744-4859 or 844-RIGHTLY. If you would rather write in, feel free to email show at rightlydesigned.com. Okay, so why is email still a thing? Right, isn't it? you know, kind of archaic and old and antiquated and boring. And the interesting thing is that despite how long in the scope of the internet email has been around, it's still by far the most effective. And this is something I've found really interesting is that in the realm of social media where, you know, it seems like there's pretty much a new social media channel coming out once every other day. Uh, I mean, we have the Snapchats, the Instagrams, the Facebooks. I mean, whatever happened to Google Plus? You know, there's a lot of different social media platforms that come and go. But email has interestingly remained consistent. Now, it hasn't remained consistent for most people in terms of the open rate and click-through rate and, you know, metrics like that. I mean, when email marketing was kind of first getting its start, you know, click-through rates were around 90%. So now a good click-through rate is around 5 to 7%. If you've got a 10% click-through rate, you're doing great. Um, but what's interesting is that despite the fact that click-through rates and open rates have fallen over the years, they still remain, in terms of engagement, they remain endlessly higher than virtually any other social media platform on the planet. Now, here's the thing. With social media, sometimes it can be easier And this is an interesting distinction to make. It can actually be easier in some ways to grow a social media following Uh, because especially when a social media platform is on the rise, it can be easier to get a follower or a subscriber or a fan. Uh, So that's why I'm not against email or social media marketing by any uh, stretch of the imagination. In fact, I find it highly valuable. However, I have found endlessly time after time, hands down, email marketing has delivered higher results every single time. The fact of the matter is somebody is far more likely to make a purchase out of an email than they are from a tweet or from a Facebook post or even a Facebook ad. Facebook ads I have found highly valuable, but again, that is on a platform that you do not control or you know it's outside of the realm of something that you own. So here's the interesting thing I've found about social media and with things like you know Instagram and Facebook and Twitter is that as I mentioned, it's a lot easier to, to start growing an audience there than it is in email. Uh, with email, you have to create, we talked in a previous episode about how you have to create an opt-in form and create a lead magnet and you have to do all these things to your website in order to optimize that. And these are all important to do highly recommended that you do those. However, with a social media platform, all you have to do is start posting interesting things. 
right? So on Instagram, if you take beautiful photos, you can just start posting those beautiful photos. If you have a YouTube channel, you can just start posting interesting, uh, you can start just posting interesting videos and those things can start to pick up traction and build you followers and subscribers and down the line. Email isn't like that. You don't gain more subscribers by sending out an email. Now there are ways you can, you can, you know, you can send, you know, your email list to a squeeze page and ask them to share that squeeze page. There's a lot of tactics that you can do to get more people onto that squeeze page by, you know, sending out an email. But generally speaking, that's not the nature of email. What I've found is that the best, I guess you could say macro strategy that you can employ when it comes to building an email list and building, you know, a platform and a brand in general is to build your audience, is to start your audience on social media and as quickly and as effectively as you can get that list or that following onto an email list. So that's why it's important to have both. Now, I always say an email list is far more important to have long-term, and I still maintain that. However, a great way to do it is through social media. So your Instagram bio should have a link to a squeeze page, for example. And I experiment with this sometimes myself. Sometimes I'll just uh, point people to my front page. Other times I will point people to a squeeze page in particular. Whatever the case, your goal is to start with social media but then get people onto an email list. You may be wondering, okay, so how do I do that? So number one, it starts with creating some sort of content strategy. I'm gonna talk about a lot of these pieces. I'm just kind of giving you a broad brushstroke, an overview, if you will. I'm gonna talk about a lot of these pieces in more detail in future episodes. But you wanna start with some sort of content strategy. You wanna figure out who is it that you're trying to reach and what content can you create to interest and provide value to them. So for example, Obviously, you're listening to a podcast right now called The Rightly Show. So The Rightly Show is my audio version of sharing everything I can, useful tools, tips, and resources related to building a business online. I also have a YouTube channel at rightly.tv where I do the similar thing, but I focus upon things that are more visual. So visual tutorials or lessons or things like that. So my personal content strategy is audio and video. Uh, I do some Instagram, but... Really, those are my two main channels. Uh, and I do some articles, but you know, that's not quite as regular a- as these channels. So those are the things to consider. First of all, what are the channels on which you want to publish? First of all, and number two, how can you deliver value through those? That's how you begin to build an audience and really start the ball rolling. I hear a lot you know, throughout the industry of people who are, who are starting online businesses so they always have this this question, how do I get started? Or I feel kind of stagnated in terms of the content strategy or my email list just isn't growing. So those are some basic ways that you can start doing it. Pick your channels, start publishing things that are interesting and useful. And the next step is then to get that following gradually over onto an email list. And there's a number of different things that you can do. Uh, And one of the most successful ones or the most effective ones that I've found personally is make your email list special. You know, when we were talking earlier about how a lot of people like to, you know, hide content or block content or put content behind, you know, ads in order to monetize that content. What I like to do is I like to offer special content. It's still free, but it's the very best. It's special. Sometimes I offer downloads that I'm creating or WordPress plugins or, you know, video courses or just really high, higher level things for free, but I only offer them 
to email subscribers. So you got to be an email subscriber. You don't have to pay anything, but you have to be an email subscriber. So you can do things like this uh, across your social media channels to offer a higher level of value. It, but it all starts, and the most important point, how whatever strategy or whatever specific things you offer to your email list, the key point is to remember that getting these these followers and these fans and people onto an email list is going to enable you to leverage that email list later on. It's playing the long game rather than, you know, saying I've got 200,000 followers on Instagram and then starting to sell advertising on Instagram. And then that's your business model. It'll that's great while it lasts. But if the algorithms change, if anybody, if everybody decides to swarm over to Snapchat, uh, if something new pops up, you're out of luck because you're that whole following falls through. There's no way for you to be able to shift all of those followers over to Instagram. On the other hand, if you had been pushing all of those subscribers to an email list over the course of a year or two years, and you're growing up a really significant email list, you have the freedom either to monetize that list, start selling a product of some sort, or mail your whole list and say, Hey guys, I'm more active over on Snapchat now. Check it out. Follow me here. So that's why it's so important. And that's why in the age of social media, if you have an, an underlying foundation of an email list, you're going to future-proof your business a lot more than if you rely on one of these channels for your core business. So one of the questions that pops up from time to time is what email marketing service should I use? So I've tried pretty much everyone under the sun. I've tried, I've worked with Infusionsoft some, I've worked with MailChimp, I've worked with Drip, I've worked with Constant Contact. Uh, I can't even, there's so many out there. I've just lost track of all the ones that I've worked with. But out of all the ones I've tried, and as I mentioned, I've tried a lot, I really like ConvertKit. So ConvertKit is is a service I've been using now for a, probably a year and a half, maybe two years now consistently, and it is by far the best. It's a nice balance of ease and use, ease of use and features. So just about a few months back, they actually added some automation features, which are amazing. So you can create these really in-depth workflows so that you can have a tag trigger a whole series sequence of emails. But the biggest thing, especially if you're starting out, is that ConvertKit actually enables you to tag your subscribers. The reason this is significant is that for a lot of people when they're starting out, they like to use MailChimp, which is great because it's free. Uh, but the big problem with ConvertKit or with uh, with MailChimp specifically is that you can't tag people, right? So every single time you create a new opt-in form of some sort, you have to create a new list for that form. So if you've got five different opt-ins on your site, that means you're managing five different email lists. And if you want to mail everyone at once, everyone on your list, if somebody has filled out two of those forms, well, guess what? That person's getting two emails. Uh, not to mention the fact that you're you're actually paying, if you start, if you break past that 2000 subscriber limit, you have to start paying for MailChimp. You're paying for double, sometimes triple or quadruple subscribers. It's just a mess the way the whole thing's organized. And it's just, it's just not out. It just doesn't fit most of the goals that people have with their email marketing today. ConvertKit, on the other hand, uh, makes it so simple. You can create as many different forms as you want, and I've I found it really useful. One of the neatest things, though, 
that you have in there, and I touched on this previously, is the ability to create these email sequences. So you can create a series of emails really easily. So you can just, you know, on the left-hand sidebar, it's just got a sequence. So you can say, you know, on day one, when somebody signs up to this list, send them this email. Two days later, send them this email. Three days later, send them this email. So I found it just to be a great way to deliver a massive amount of value over time. So it's a great service. I've been using it for a while. Uh, one of the questions I've had in the past, you know, a lot of people like Infusionsoft because Infusionsoft has a ton of features. I have I have to admit I haven't worked a lot with Infusionsoft myself. I have worked with it, but mainly just for my clients and in trying to integrate it with different WordPress websites I've developed. But the thing that I've come across with with Infusionsoft specifically is that it's just so cumbersome. Uh, it just does everything, and you've probably heard me talk about this in the past about WordPress themes, and that is same applies to email marketing. If it does everything, it doesn't really do anything well. And that's kind of the feeling I've gotten with Infusionsoft. It's just a massive bear of an app, and it just has a hard time accomplishing really simple goals. I think for a lot of people out there who are just running a larger scale operation, they've found a lot of the, because they just have a lot more features. So sometimes people find that more valuable. So that'd be the only time when I'd say maybe way between the two, if you just need something way more massive and you just need way more features and you just have to, you just need your email marketing platform to do a lot more, maybe Infusionsoft may be worth it. Again, I haven't used it myself for my own email marketing. I've only worked with clients who use it. Um, but for myself and for most everybody who I work with, it's pretty unanimous. Most of us use ConvertKit. Um, I do have a special link. So if you want a 30-day free trial, uh, you can go to rightly.show slash ConvertKit. That is an affiliate link, but it does give you 30 days for free if you want to try it out. Um, but again, I have found it to be highly useful. I really like I really like the the continual progress that they've made on it. I do have one feature request. I, I wish that you could actually categorize or lump together your tags just because I have a ton of tags. But in terms of the ease of use, the functionality that's built into ConvertKit, it's been pretty amazing. So I highly recommend you just give it a shot. I think they'll actually migrate over your list as well. So if you're using MailChimp or something like that, I think they have a migration service where they'll actually migrate over your list. So definitely worth checking out. Um, as always, uh, if you found this episode useful, we really appreciate it if you head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, we're constantly creating useful tools, tips, and resources. If you want to make sure that you don't miss those, you got to go on over to rightly.show slash subscribe. Subscribe there and you're going to get all the latest tools, tips, and resources that we're creating. We do also have a channel, a YouTube channel, which is totally free. It's brand new over at rightly.tv. So again, uh, we do really appreciate you tuning in today to the program. Until next week, go out there and create a brand that is truly rightly designed. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program. If you found it useful, please take a quick moment to leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or the medium of your choosing.